foundation of those in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has redeemed us from death into life. Now we walk in his freedom. We are the children of this morning. We have a baptism. So why don't you guys turn your attention over here. Good morning. Oh, good job, Chad. Ooh, you wear me out seeing that. That's awesome. I love it. It's a great way to start our morning. And in addition to singing and worship, we get to see this fine young man right here, Jake Hester, uh, pronounce his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism. 
Um, this family right here, I dearly love. Banjo, yes. Banjo Hester, Benjamin Hester, also known as Banjo, uh, and his sweet wife Lauren are invested in ministry for, for many generations. They have s served at Piney Woods Camp right down the road in Corrigan. Um, Lauren is our Mother's Day Out director and has been for what, eight, nine? Uh, it's been a while. It's been a minute, yeah. It's like she's always been here. And it's so amazing. And here they are raising this next generation of ministry leadership. And this is Jake. He's in fourth grade. I'll be quiet now. I'll let Mama do some talking. And then she's also going to pray afterward. Okay. <laughs> All right, Jake. Awesome. Okay, so this, of course, this is Jake. Um, and he is, he is so excited about today. Like, you should have seen him this morning just jumping around the house, like, so excited. So, um, whoo, that's a cheer. Okay. Um, so about a year, for the last two or three years, Jake has, uh, you know, just been at church learning about Jesus. And, like, he, he would ask Banjo and I questions, like, at night, like, before he would go to bed. Um, and so we've been kind of answering those and talking with him. And then about a year ago, we go in one night to put him to bed. And he tells us that he accepted Christ, like, in his bed. Just, um... And, um, and then, you know, soon after that, he found out that the next step was just baptism and uh, just, just declaring that. And uh, this kid loves God. Like, Amen. so that's, that's. <laughs> Jake, I'm honored to baptize you, my brother in Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. this morning, God. Thank you for our just, for just Jake and just uh, his, just his love for you and just his, he's not afraid, Father. He's not afraid to tell people. He's not afraid of his story. He's, Lord, thank you for that. God, thank you for our church family who has just been here for us and they support us and they encourage us and thank you for that. Father, I just pray for this kid, Father, that you would bless him just, Lord, with just wisdom, Father, that he would grow up strong and that he would just uh, fall in love with you, God, and just love you and just love people, God. Uh, just thank you so much for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Ooh, all right, if you're in the room, uh, we invite you to stand and worship with us. You don't have to, but we invite you to anyway. Uh, what do we say every week? Somebody, what do we say every week? <laughs> Somebody make me a t-shirt, for real. From heaven's throne, you came to us and set your heart upon the cross. We'll never know the sacrifice you made for all our sin and all our shame. You took the nails 
You took our place and no one else could do what you have done. Sing it one name. One name is higher. One name is stronger than any grave, than any throne. Christ exalted over all. And from the grave where death would die, you rose again and brought us life you're reigning now the savior of the world who oh, you're reigning now the savior of the world one name is higher one name is strong
please stand and join in with God's holy word. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, 
he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Is there in the newborn Christ, there in the light of every sunrise, There in the shadows of this life, your greatness is there on the mountain top. There in the everyday and the mundane. There in the shower and the dancing, your greatness. From the creation to the cross There from the cross into eternity Your grace finds me Yes, your grace finds me There on the wedding
From the creation to the cross There from the cross into eternity Your grace finds me Yes, your grace finds me Oh, and turn goodness. That was awesome to hear you sing the baptism. You know, that is so true. You know, we're a couple weeks out from an election where everybody hates each other again. I'm not sure we stopped hating each other since the last election, but that's part of American politics. But you know, when as a child of God, you put your eyes on Jesus, it really does make that stuff kind of fade away, doesn't it? And we want to pray. We want to keep praying for uh, for young man Jake over here, I've been, I called him Jack all morning. I prayed for him, and he said, Pastor, thank you for praying for Jack, but I'm Jake. So, <laughs> But man, we're so proud of you, young man, and, and God is with you your whole life. He's going to walk with you. He was so excited. I, you guys, what happened to us? We lost our excitement about what it means, and we're going to do our best to remind you this morning as we continue our study through Romans. Casey, are you in here? Casey, why don't you come back, come on up. Look, what you saw uh, with Jake this morning, what Casey's going to talk about, this is all part of, I, I, you know, I, I come up here so I can come right up when the song is over, and I look out there, and I see some of our teens and our graduates raising their hands and worshiping you guys. And, I mean, our college ministry, Chad and Sabrina oversee 
we've got a huge group of, of college kids from Angelina. They do a Bible study, and then on Sunday mornings, the room is packed. I just want you to know that we are a missions church, but that mission extends to here, and God is using you. And I want to thank you for your investment and your prayers for young men like, like Jake, but there's others. i got two grandsons that are going to grow up in this church, God willing, and they're going to learn about God from you. And, man, we have a Bible study group that just changed from Sunday nights to Sunday morning because we want our kids involved in the discipleship of Sunday mornings. What we do here is so important, so important, so much more important than just preaching. And uh, I want to thank you for your investment in that. Casey's going to talk a little about that uh, for a moment. Oh, it's your husband running it back there. He's letting you know. (laughs) It's my fault. It wasn't his fault. There we go. Let's try again. Hello. <laughs> First of all, I just want to say, if you are involved in any kind of ministry position and you decide you want to make an announcement on Sunday and you bug the pastor on Saturday afternoon, he may ask you to come and do the announcement yourself. So if this <laughs> scares you, if you don't like the lights and the stage and the microphone, then I would suggest not calling the pastor on Saturday. <laughs> um, so anyway, the reason I'm up here... Uh, If um, you currently serve on our rotation for preschool, this is preschool only, but it's during our worship hour, which is like what we're doing right now in this very moment. Plus, on Wednesday nights, we also have our preschool classes. So we have about five classes on Sunday mornings and then two classes on Wednesdays. If you are currently serving on those rotations, we want to give you a very, very big Thank you, like, big time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really, yeah, please clap for them. Um, you know, it's, it's been a challenge. Of course, we went through COVID and all of that, but things have really picked up since all of that, and um, we have just been really blown away with um, how, how, how much we have grown, not only in our kids, but our, our volunteers and our workers. Um, so we just, we have, if that is you, then we have a table set up for you in the lobby for, um, I have a thank you for you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, this is those who serve, you know, about once every four to six weeks um, in our, in, you know, in our nursery classes. And they're just there to help and assist the teacher, the staff that's in the class. So we have staff as well. And so it takes a lot and it takes so many, so many on a Sunday morning. And, and, and we know, we understand that everybody also wants to enjoy worship and be in here. So it takes, um, you know, it takes all of us to be able to rotate that when we do a, a rotation so that we can all, you know, take part of it and, and also be involved in here. But we just want to thank you. So there's a table in the lobby. Um, we have a gift for you. And it's, it looks small, but it's actually, you can hear that. Uh, Alicia actually sent me to the bank, so there might be a little cha-ching in here. Um, so, yeah, don't toss this in the trash if you're, like, diabetic or something and you know it's just going to be candy. It's not just candy. This is, this, it's a decent gift. Um, and then also we have this fabulous shirt that you will get um, that Alicia designed, which actually brings me to my next uh, point. If you are a Jesus-loving, kid-hugging, dedicated, awesome person, but you are not yet volunteering... <laughs> in children's ministry, (laughs) well, we have room for you, and you're the sort we need, (laughs) especially on Wednesday nights. Like I told you, we have two classes on Wednesdays, 
but we really are looking to make a third class because we have really grown in our numbers, especially with our infants. So we can use you. We can use your help. Um, we, um, we just, uh, we are so thankful and so grateful for all the ones who, who come in and, um, and help, but you know, we can always use more. I always say we're blessed, but we would like to be blessed more. So, so anyway, so come see me and thank you to those who already serve. And if you're interested and you want more information, I have information for you in the back um, and I can, I can give you that. So see me or see Alicia. And I think that's all. That was fantastic. Did, did I take up too thing. much of your preaching if time? If you're Jesus loving and you have all that stuff on her shirt, there is one more. You have to be able to pass a background text. So just to be clear. <laughs> Yeah. Well, but then you wouldn't really be awesome if you couldn't do that right. Well, yeah. So let's talk about, now blow their minds. How many people uh, did you have to make gifts for? So I made 60 total gifts, but that's, um, and, and that's who we have. Like we actually, I'm probably going to use all of those. Um, but that's also including our staff. Uh, we have our nursery staff as well who, um, who staff our, our classes. And we are so blessed so, so blessed to have wonderful nursery staff who love on our kids. And, and so the volunteers, they're not, you know, teaching. They're not preparing. This is not, you know, if, if you're wondering about that, you're just in there to assist the volunteer, I mean, the, the staff that, the, that's running the classroom and, and managing the classroom. Are the, and, staff, are the staff paid individuals? Yes. Okay, so, so things have changed since you and I were little kids uh, with the world, with security, as well as that's how we control the doctrine that's taught to our kids. We have a staff in every room that does that. And what we're talking about this morning then is your volunteers, kid huggers, people who come in and assist those people. Yes. Because if you've got two kids at home or two grandkids, you know you need help. Yes. And, we, so. and, and we, our policy is to, to a room, and that's for the safety of kids and, you know, for restrooming and just all of those things. We want to make sure our kids are, are well taken care of and accountability and... Um, Anyway, it just, so it takes let's everybody. Blow their mind. So this is what grade, again, Wednesday night, Sunday morning. This is infants through four-year-olds. So infants through four-year-olds. And yes. there's about, I'm not kidding you, like we average about 30 just in that age group. And they're all demon-possessed. So we got, <laughs> so we've got. Well, this not is, my children. This is just, just would you Mine just let me talk? Just let me talk. This is not Johnny Carson thing, okay? I'm really old. So, so this is, this is through fourth grade? No, no, no. This is through four years old. Okay. So this is, this is a, and we have 60 people that have to serve in that area. Think about that. That's during this hour and Wednesday night, if I heard you correctly. So on top of that, we've got GPS going on. We've got other things going on that go through third grade. Yes. I mean, there is a, we have an enormous investment in the discipleship of our children and your grandkids and kids in the neighborhood. That is what we do as a church. We disciple them. And I, I want to add something to what she said. Most of you, not all of you, but most of you grew up in the church. Most of you are not hearing anything for the first time when we're going through Scripture. I may be putting it in an order for you, but the truth is you've heard it. And so we would much rather have you sacrifice a Sunday or two a month to serve kids than to have to be in here. I mean, I know the preaching is phenomenal. I mean, I, seven of you laugh. The rest of you are either disagreeing or going, I'm just visiting. No, it is but, Pastor Appreciation Month, too. It is Pastor like, they should be nice. me. That's it? That's all I got? One person going. I, would, I want you to know. <laughs> That's a key. Those are keys to cars. There's a bunch of them out in the parking lot. Now you all wished you would have volunteered. And you wouldn't have anybody else to preach to. <laughs> you, got a, you got a text from somebody. Oh, oh sorry. Anyway, <laughs> there's no text on there. She's like freaking out. 
to, to make a long story short, thank you guys so much. I mean, we really couldn't do this. This, this doesn't happen. I, don't be fooled, this room, the lights and stuff, don't be fooled at, at the worship. There's not like 18 people who make this happen. This is your ministry. Those of us who are on staff facilitate your and administrate your ministry. And you guys volunteered. The truth is, at the beginning of the year, uh, Alicia and her staff were a little bit worried after COVID about filling some roles that some people who, who were seniors in the past had filled. And they didn't come back because of COVID or illness or other things. And so to make a long story short, Alicia met, uh, we talked earlier in the year, they had been talking and they were kind of panicking. We're burning our people out. We're getting it done the same way. And so Alicia and Jeff and I met and we talked and we said, look, we need to find out if, this, if, if we can continue to do ministry the way we have or we got to rethink it. You know, that's, that's what we'll do. If, if the money dries up, we'll rethink ministry. Uh, you'll have to hire me and then I'll still preach. But that's how you do it, right? You understand that? So it's the same with people. If the people drop, for whatever reason, we're not dogging the flock, but we got up here on a Sunday, or there was two Sundays, and, and, and we said, shared this with you, man, you guys came out of the woodwork. And that's, uh, that's saying a lot, um, and, and thank you. Thank you for rising to the occasion. If you are not involved in a ministry, discipling of our children, whether it's children all the way through high school ministry. I don't see Alicia in here. She's probably working with the children this morning. Is she in here? How many positions, do you know how many positions there are in, in zero through fifth grade? Okay, zero through fifth. So like on a Sunday morning, we're looking at a good 40-ish, 50. I mean like 40 to each 45, Sunday. like each Sunday. Well, obviously we don't want the same exact people working each Sunday, right? Because we do want people to be able be involved in worship. So it takes a lot of people so that we can rotate those out. Does yeah. that make sense? And that, yeah, I mean, because so, it's not what I was, I was going to say this too. What I'm talking about, like the thank you table, this is just the preschool during the worship hour and on Wednesday nights. There's also kindergarten through fifth grade that we serve, you know, Sunday mornings, Bible study, Wednesday, and there's still positions that we need to fill in those as well. So, you know, please, you know, if, think about it and consider that. See Alicia, see me. Um, also, if this applies to you, and you're not here, and you're watching online. I'm taking. I'm going to be up. I'm taking their car. I'm going to be up here next week Adam, as well. I'm going to be in the lobby next week too. So sixth you'll get a grade through adults. How many? Uh, sixth grade through high school. How many staff do you have? Sixteen adults working with students. So you just start. The numbers go up, and then you start going. Okay, so we have you know about a thousand people that claim Carpenter's Way as their home. Any given Sunday, we have four to 500. So eventually you start realizing we use, there's a lot of people invested in discipling kids, which is why God invented the church, okay? So thank you guys so much. I mean, thank you for, for volunteering. Thank you for thinking and praying about it. And if you're new and you want to get involved in the ministry, this is another way to make relationships with folks and to serve the Lord. We're not going to hand you a book and say, teach this class. We're going uh, to start by having you love on kids and help keep crowd control. Is there anything else? I mean, I could talk more. I but... know you can, but I would like to preach. So, <laughs> Casey, you're awesome. Thank you very much, Casey, for your hard work. So Jake from State Farm, a lot of people invested in your life. That's what Alicia said. Alicia was with us when I prayed, and she goes, it's Jake, it's Jake, Jake from State Farm. So I'll never forget that. I know what your future holds, young man. Khaki pants and a red shirt. So, was, was last, I, I mean, I, I hope you're seeing a theme here. 
Last Sunday, too, that uh, family con that Adam and his staff put on, uh, having Dr. Ross come and share, it was a phenomenal Sunday. And I realize that when you find out that maybe something different's going on, some people like to take a Sunday off, you missed out. You need to get online and listen to his message. It was about being a discipler at home. Phenomenal message. And uh, our encouragement on evaluation on Monday was, let's do this again. Let's, let's keep taking time off to talk about how we disciple and raise our kids. Because it's easy in the pulpit to talk about doing something. And sometimes we forget to talk about how we do that. So just, just want to encourage you to do that. Thank you, uh, Adam, for that and all your leadership, you and Amber. Um, the, the only other thing I really want to mention this morning is that next week we have a new members class. Some have been asking about it. That will be next Sunday morning. Uh, we call it Carpenter's Way 101 because not everybody who comes through it becomes a member. It'll just teach you how we function. How does Carpenter's Way from top to bottom run? Who makes the decisions? How is that done? That takes place in the library. It begins at 930 and it goes all the way through to about 11.45 or noon. And there's kids programs going on at that time as well. So we encourage you to come to that. If you want more information on the church or if you're interested in becoming a member, that's where you do that. That's, that's the next step to that. So uh, uh, I think that does it. So thanks for being involved in ministry. Thank you for giving. As you know, if you like air conditioning and lights, then that's by your giving. And I, and I had somebody this week ask me, how do we give? And that's my... That's such an easy question to answer. You write a check to Mark Wilkie, W-I-L-K-E, and you hand it to Julie. Pam, I can always count on you to laugh. The rest of the church is like, is he serious? No, there's a box in the back you can give online. We used to pass the plate, but everybody got COVID, and we want you here. So uh, just uh, you can be involved that way, or you can call the office, and we gl gladly answer. But that's for those who attend here regularly. If, this is, if you're still in search, we don't want you to give. We just want you to, to get. And uh, when the Lord draws you in, we want you involved in ministry and, and, and support. So, all right. So you ready? Amen. Man, we are going to be in Romans 3, and this is scary. This is like, this is like over the top, really, really scary. Ready? <laughs> what a way to start. All right. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to go start at verse 21, and I'm going to go all the way through chapter 3, verse 18. The reason I'm doing this this morning is because I want to remind you that when Paul wrote this letter through a scribe, it was not written with chapter breaks and verses. And we have been for one month talking about the same thing. And I'll keep reiterating, well, Paul summarizes that same thing in chapter 3. But he starts in chapter 1, so it's really important that you understand. My goal is not to get you to agree with me or our doctrinal statement of the church. My goal is for you to understand Scripture and how to look at Scripture. And sometimes the way we've been raised in the church, those of us who have, or if you haven't, when you pick up a Bible, uh, somebody says, just read the Bible, and you, you read a chapter a day. The problem is most themes don't stop at chapter breaks, and this, this entry this introduction to Paul's letter, what he wants to teach, soteriology, the study of salvation, theology, uh, it, it, it's the bad news. And man, as I've been studying this for the last month, it's really bad. Let me, I, I, can't even, I can't even say, I think it's so bad, we don't like to think about it, uh, but let's just jump in 1 verse 21. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise, and he's talking about the lost in the world, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Uh, I shared with you in the past, sin makes you stupid. 
It does. It makes you an utter fool, according to chapter 1, verse 22. And instead of worshiping the glorious God, the ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So what did God do? He abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As the result, now please note that word, as the result. This is very important. We as, as, as moralists, we as Christians at times, look at the world and say, how can they do that? Look how gross they are. Well, as we talked about two weeks ago, what people do is the result of what they are and what their value system is inside. And this text is telling us that the problem, and I'm going to keep reiterating that, the problem with the lost is not what they do. The church likes to harp on gay marriage. The church likes to harp on adultery or immorality or murder or hate or whatever. When in reality, those are symptoms. That's the fruit. That's the decor of the real problem. And this is what the real problem is. Verse 24, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As the result of that, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So that's the problem. They traded the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. What did that look like? Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as the result of this sin, they suffered in themselves the penalty they deserved. So now he's going to go back to the real problem. That's a, that's a manifestation of the problem. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, okay, so that's the sense. We've got to keep this. The church forgets this. The problem today is not sexual immorality. That's not the problem of any kind. The problem is, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. That's the problem. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that, they should, that should never be done. Very important. They do because of what they believe, their value system. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, uh, sin, greed, hate, evil, or envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. And I, and I shared with you three weeks ago when we looked at this, the problem with that is it sounds a lot like the description of the, of the church business meetings I went to. I mean, I mean, seriously, we look at Romans 1, those of us who've been in the church, as the anti-homosexuality chapter. Please understand, that's only one form of depravity as a result of rejecting God. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, Murder is obviously, we all know how bad that is, but there's quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Sounds like Facebook. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Well, that's just, that's just a side prize. Everybody does that. Yeah, they do. Why do they do it? According to this text, because they do not honor God with their hearts. They don't worship Him. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless and they have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Yikes. You may think, okay, chapter two. So we always stop there, always. We often, when this is preached, it's like the end. Look what's wrong with the world. Look what's wrong. We all go, amen. Amen, Paul. What a bunch of buffoons. 
Sinful buffoons, wicked buffoons, what a bunch of buffoons. Yeah, well, the problem is when you read chapter 2, verse 1, it takes the Christian right out of you or the, or the blood out of your face. You may think you can condemn such people, which is what most Christians do when they read chapter 1, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. Well, that isn't very nice, Paul. This is not how you make friends and influence people. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're actually condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the very same thing. And we know that God, in His justice, will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. For he will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life. Pay attention to this, because this, if you are paying attention, and I tell you every verse matters within its context. So this should freak my Baptist friends out, my Assembly of God's friends. This should freak you out because this sounds opposite of what we teach. We're going to explain that this morning. He will give eternal life to those who keep doing good, Seeking after glory and honor and immortality. Or immorality or <laughs> you can read for yourself that word because I apparently can't pronounce it. Immortality that God offers. But he will pour out of his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. Wait, pastor, I thought doing good, I thought it was about something else, not doing good. Just relax. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God doesn't show favoritism. So according to what we just read, do good and it'll be okay between you and God. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed even though they had never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law that they're failing to obey. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's actually obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. <gasps> Please, I really want you to understand every verse. I know I'm reading a lot of text here, but you've got to get this. That should freak you out because I preach every Sunday. It's not, you're not saved by obeying the law. And yet it says right here, so you can say, Pastor, help me understand. It's obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Verse 14, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they're doing what's right. And this is the message that I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's... Okay, I want everybody at the same time to read what that says, those last two words. One, two, three. Now you have diarrhea. Every one of you. If you're paying attention, if you care about spiritual health, if you want to be right with God, this should freak you out. Because God just said, Paul just said, God said through Paul that the world is depraved and evil because they've rejected me and they're acting out on their rejection of me, but what's your excuse? And we can sit here and go, but I'm not gay, or I'm not an adulterer, or I'm not fill in the blank. I've never killed anybody. The problem is God doesn't judge on what you do. He judges on what's in your heart. And that's when you go, oh no. 
Verse 16 of chapter 2, verse 17. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with Him. You know what He wants. You know what is right because you have been taught His law. You are convinced that you're a guide for the blind and a light for people who, have, who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? Come on, Paul. Remember, he started with, I want to come visit you. I love you so much. They're all going, you can stay away. You're grumpy. You need coffee. You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit, condemn, uh, commit adultery? You, you, uh, you condemn idolatry, but do you use the items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the Scripture says the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. That's code for you're a really bad example of who I am. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentile who keeps God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. You, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Baptist parents. Sorry, I read that wrong. You are not a true Jew just because you were born of assembly God parents. No, wrong. Just because your dad was a pastor. No. You are not a true Jew or child of God because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through baptism or circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks to praise God or praise from God, not from people. So now we're getting into our text for today. Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? And this sentence, uh, let me, and I'm going to say some things about this text. So, so this is a very hard one to translate. And, and the New Living has done a pretty good job with then what's the advantage of being a Jew. But he's basically asking the question, so get the sense, well, why, why does it even matter? If, if Paul is being truthful here, what's the point of raising Baptist kids or having discipleship? I mean, if they're all going to mess up anyway and that doesn't make them right with God, what advantage of, of is there at all? Is there even an advantage? Actually, he asked the next question, is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? And I want to add, or catechism, if you grew up in a liturgical church, or baptism, or infant dedication, he answers the question, absolutely, yes, emphatically, the Greek word, oh, absolutely, there are great benefits. First of all, I'll tell you one of them, first of all, the Jews are entrusted with the whole revelation of God, really important. A couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I had Zach preach a message for us, um, must have been three or four, but it was on God, how God reveals himself. And we talked about general revelation. That is the sun in the sky. Uh, it's, it's governments. It's basically order proves God's existence. You can look at, at, around at everything, and somebody had to start that. Whether you believe in a seven-day creation or not isn't important. What is important is every man, woman, and child, any place in the world, any color, any socioeconomic status, no matter what, anywhere in the world, they look up at the sky, and they know somebody put that there. And it doesn't tell them his name or how they're saved. That's general revelation. But generally, you can look up into the sky and say, oh, there's somebody there. I should probably figure out who that is. That's general revelation. It's God revealing himself generally to people. Then he talked about special revelation. Special revelation is God explaining who he is and how a person is saved. My name is Yahweh. I am God. We saw that with 
Uh, part of special revelation was the, uh, was the ten plagues in Egypt. I'm God. You better pay attention to me. I'm the judge. I'm more powerful than Pharaoh. It's, it's the word of God you have in your hands. Who is God? How did he, what did he do about our sin problem? Why are we messed up? So that's special revelation. And what he is saying here is that being a Jew, you have the whole revelation of God. Not just general looking at creation, but the, but the special revelation of God. And verse 3 says, true, some of them were unfaithful. And I want to add this Baptist, Assemblies of God, evangelical, growing up in the church, Lutheran, Catholic. You actually have the Word of God available to you so you can know everything there is to know about God that He wants you to know. You just got to invest in it. Well, I've never read the Bible. That's on you. But it's in your hands. So when Paul is saying, when it comes to your relationship with God, being a Jew or a Gentile doesn't solve your spiritual problem, he is saying that there is an advantage to growing up and being circumcised as an infant or being baptized. The, the truth is, the benefit is, you have all the information you need in order to be a man or woman of God. Does that make logical sense? That's all he's talking about here. Some of you, verse 3, uh, in chapter 3. So true, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they're unfaithful, and this is huge, doesn't mean that God will be unfaithful. He's making this awesome argument. Remember Dr. Ross's example last week? He put three groups in front of us, and I thought he was so good. I so enjoyed last week. He put the seeker over here, the unsaved. So we're going to just forget him this morning because we're talking in chapter 2 about religious people, moralists, people who acknowledge God's presence but don't surrender in the secret places to him. But then you have this converted person, and then over here you have genuine followers of God, right? Remember these two groups? He's talking here about this group, the converted. He is saying that just because one of God's converted ones isn't faithful doesn't mean that God's salvation process isn't effective. Does that make sense? And, and I want to I teach you this. I hope you learn this, but over the years, one of the things that really hit me when we studied Galatians a year ago or so was that Paul keeps referring back to God's faithfulness to his promises. He's not faithful to your promise. He's faithful to his promise. Because your promises to your spouses, to your mom and dad, to your, to your whatever, are real shallow. I mean, we make vows at, the, at our wedding day that we don't even understand, for better, for worse. I'm constantly in counseling appointments with people who have no idea how, how worse worse is. And there's a limit, right? I'm, I'm not saying you should stay married if your spouse is abusing you. I always have to say that. I'm simply saying that we make vows that we don't keep. God never, ever, ever makes a vow he doesn't keep. That's why he's holy. God isn't holy because he's holy. God's holy because he's like no one else you've ever met. He, he, he never breaks his promises. And it is based upon his promises, not even his love. His love is an expression of his promises. It is based on his promises to redeem people. Why? Because he wants a relationship with people. It is God's promise to save you this way that keeps us savable. Not your goodness, not your attendance on Sunday, not your, uh, your de devotion to discipling children. It's God's promises. Because the truth is, this last week as we watched the news or whatever you did, somebody cut you off in traffic, your secret thoughts were not honoring to God. You killed somebody. This is consistent with Jesus' teaching. You know that, right? I mean, Jesus, the problem with Jesus is he's constantly raising the bar of righteousness. Would you not agree with that? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. We studied him, and he's like, I've kept the law. Jesus, good for you. Let me show you how you have it. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Or how about the, the, the beatitude, the wonderful Sermon on the Mount that the Chosen ended with last season, and we're looking forward to hearing, and we all talk about how wonderful 
the Sermon on the Mount. Am I the only one who hates the Sermon on the Mount? And then three of you laugh because you know where I'm going with this. I don't like the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because it reminds me that I have committed adultery, that I have murdered, that I, that I don't love people like God loves me, and that I'm not a very forgiving person. At the end is, you will not see the kingdom of God. Okay, so those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Jesus looked at the crowd and he said, he basically said to these very religious people, predominantly Jews, you say you've never murdered. And they went, yeah. A little heads bopping, yeah, yes, yes we have. We've never, we've never committed adultery. And Jesus says, my father says that if you've ever lusted, and their heads stopped bopping. Lusted. What's a lust? What's a lust? I remember in high school, and I've told you this before, but it's time to bring it back because it was before COVID. I learned that lusting is not looking and enjoying it. It's blinking and looking back. So as a youth, that's such a lie. You guys just, some of you went, oh. So just so you know, we would walk around the beaches right before we would evangelize the girls in bikinis. And we would, we would walk around the beaches and be like, don't blink, don't blink, don't blink, don't blink, don't blink. She needs Jesus really bad. Let's go tell her about Jesus. You want to ride my John 316 surfboard? I'll tell you about Jesus. I mean, it's like, you, you know what I'm saying? That, that doesn't mean you haven't lusted just because you didn't blink. I mean, we keep trying to go, okay, so how do I not lust? The problem is you do lust. Except for Julie, who has never lusted a moment in her life. I, I, we do. How about, how about murder? I've never murdered. So I might be a luster, but I'm not a murderer. The problem is, Jesus said, if you've ever hated somebody, Pastor, I can honestly tell you, I've never hated anybody in my life. Well, he raises the bar there too. Remember why? Because he says, if you've ever called anybody a fool, the word is raka in Greek, it means empty-headed one. And you're laughing because you thought your spouse was that person yesterday. <laughs> it is not a diet if you eat baby Ruth candy bars. You are raka. And God, right then, it's like you've murdered Seriously, he keeps raising the bar. Again, am I the only one who hates the Sermon on the Mount? Because every time I read it, it's like, eh, I'm really not as good as I thought. And I can hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit or Paul going, yeah, I told you. That, that's the problem. So we find ourselves, uh, let's, let's go to verse 4. Uh, oh, verse 3, let's, let's start there and it'll make more sense. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, the righteous ones, the religious ones, doesn't mean that God will be unfaithful. Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say and you will win your case in court, talking, uh, talking about the scriptures referring to God. But, some might say, our sinfulness, so you can make, you hear this in the church today, and, and we'll come back to this later in Romans, but some might say, our sinfulness serves a good purpose for it helps people see how righteous God is. Look how gracious he is to us as sinners. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. And Paul is saying, stop it. Of course not. If God were entirely fair, uh, how would he be qualified to judge the world if he were not entirely fair? Verse 7, but someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty actually highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people slander us by claiming that we're saying the more we sin, the better it is for God. Okay, we'll get back to that in Romans 6 because it starts with, should I continue sinning so that God's grace might be increased? And Paul uses this emphatic phrase, meganoito, which means don't be a dumb, don't be dumb. Don't be silly. Absolutely not. Emphatically, no. Stop it. Stop thinking like that. Verse 8. Verse 9. 
Ah, we'll go to verse 8. And some people, even slandering us, but that, uh, that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we've already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the Scripture says. Here we go. No one is righteous. Okay, you, you can say that together. One, two, three. Wait, I thought it said, I thought it said if, if we're good, well, we'll get to that. No one is truly wise. What's that first two words? Not even one. No one, okay, we're in verse, uh, got to keep the screen with me. No, verse 11, no one is truly wise. No one is, well, pastor, that's, maybe Paul's mistaken because I'm seeking God. Well, he's going to tell you what that looks like. All have turned away. All, and that's a numbers game, all have become useless. Okay, but Paul said a minute ago that if you're good, you, you'll be judged by what you do so good people can be saved. Well, he, he solves that problem in verse 12 when he says only seven people do good. Or you're the only one. Oh, there's five of you. No one does good. And to reemphasize that, not a single one. Okay, just, just leave that up there for a second. So just to be clear, there are places in Scripture where ancient Middle East texts ha- exaggerate stuff, okay? Uh, all the men in Sodom came out to meet the angels. It, it doesn't literally mean all, all. That's a very common Old Testament idiom. All of the children were rebellious. All of the Moabites were killed. Well, we know that's not true because Ruth was a Moabitess, right? So that's an exaggeration. But the way that Paul phrases this here, the Old Testament Scriptures, what he is saying is, no one does good. Let me be very, very clear. Not a single one. Now we just lost our hope from the previous chapter as religious people. Because now we know that God, through Paul, wants us to know that there's no one seeking Him, no one doing good, And I want to make it clear again that what Paul just did here in the opening pages of this letter, whose purpose was to explain the really, really super fantastic, amazing, almost unbelievable, most wonderful news of all time, in the opening pages of this letter, Paul wants us to understand how bad, really, 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 super terrible bad, terrifyingly bad, the news is. Paul wants us to understand that we are in real trouble even this morning at Carpenter's Way Baptist Church as we gather around the Scriptures and celebrate Jake from State Farm, we, we, we still are in trouble, and Jake's in trouble without something else radically happening. Because the truth is, no one does good. Not even precious Jake from State Farm who loves his parents, loves their ministry, loves God, and wanted to say this morning, I am dying to self and living for God. If anybody should be saved in this room, it's Jake from State Farm. The problem is, even Jake from State Farm isn't a good person. That's the problem. Well, he's a sweet kid. What could he have done wrong? Well, in your and I, my eyes, nothing. In his parents' eyes, some things. <laughs> in God's eyes, everything. Well, I had a pastor who, you know, was so loved with Jesus that he preached the word so good, that guy didn't sin much. 
I got news for you. Every time I high-five myself with a good message, it's pride. You know, Billy Graham, everybody high-fives his faithfulness to the Lord. You, you probably know the story where he would never go into a hotel room without first his male company, a secretary, going in, making sure there was no porn on the TV, making sure that there was no women in there, uh, and, and people would ask him about it. And, you know, the church rationalized it. Well, you know, the world is looking to accuse him. Uh, the, he had to be very careful. Can I be clear that the reason he did that is because temptation is real even in Billy Graham's life? I mean, we fooled ourselves into thinking that there's good people and bad Christians. You know, we all sin, but there are good sinners and bad sinners. Can I just remind you that the decor of our flesh isn't really the point. It's why we st- struggle with the flesh. That, that in God's economy, homosexuality is no worse or no better than lying, stealing, cheating, hating, calling somebody a fool when they cut you off in traffic. There's no difference. Well, that's not fair. He's the judge, my friends. Somewhere along the line, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Romans 2.3, just a summary. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Romans 2.6 God will judge everyone according to what they've done. This letter, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, wasn't broken down into chapters. It was a theme. This was supposed to be read in 10 minutes. One time, I was teaching Romans in my previous church, and I decided I was going to read it like it was meant to be read. I lost about half the congregation to sleep that morning. We're not geared to listen to it, but that's how it's supposed to be read. That's why you've got to read it at home. This is not, this is not a four-week discussion. It's a one-hour discussion. You're in trouble is what it's saying. I'm in trouble is what it's saying. Bottom line. If you need clarity on that, look at Romans chapter 3, 9 through 12. We have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. And you know what that means, right? Paul is saying that even those of us who are pro-life, pro-country, pro-religion, pro-morality, even regular churchgoers, even those who look at the world's immorality with disdain and revulsion, will be judged alongside of those really, really, really really messed up people. Why? Again, because what Paul is saying here in the opening pages of his letters, that if people are going to be judged on what they do, including the secret things that they do, feel, think, and act upon, then the truth is there is no one righteous, not one except Jesus himself. Not one. I used to like to use the illustration, and I'll I'll bring it back. The problem is, as we sort of think that if the omelet looks good, it must be good to eat. But if there is a rotten egg at its core, you're going to end up spending 24 hours vomiting just because it looks good. And God knows the secret makeup of that egg that was left out of the refrigerator, cleaned, and is nine years old. It may look beautiful, but the problem is that God looks at the heart. If Christian moralist, you're right. This country, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. You are exactly right. It is. Just look at the moral depravity surrounding us. Just just look at it. Even in the most innocent of the world's programs, like Sesame Street or Disney that you raised your kids on, even in the school systems now, you can't trust the moral compass of the world because they don't care what you think anymore. 
um, if you've been paying attention to the church in our country for the past two years, you can't trust the pastors. Why? Because behind the lights and the music and the skinny jeans is self-serving. No one does good. Well, why should I listen to you? Because this is my task. You know me. I stand before the Lord. And you will know the minute, I know you because I get your emails, the minute I walk away from God's Word, about 900 of you are going to email me. How do I know? Because we got about 50 ex-Catholics in this church who were all over me for my bad Catholic doctrine about a month ago. Thank you very much. I am now a knowledgeable non-Catholic. The, the, the truth is, I'm not even a Baptist. I want to follow Jesus. Because something happens in your heart when you start being Mormon. You're more obsessed with being moral and a good family man than you and America than you are a Jesus Christ follower. Because sometimes being a Jesus Christ follower makes you a bad American. It will make you a bad American. Well, how can you say that? Because following Jesus made Jews bad Jews. And God invented their religion. When we start worshiping the thing that God created to benefit us, then we put the God of those blessings somewhere off, and that's exactly what happened with the Hebrew people. They loved Jesus on Palm Sunday. Oh, here he comes, the King of the Jews, the Messiah, our Deliverer, that's what we're waiting for. Right up until he went into the temple grounds and said, don't like it too much, boys, I'm about to destroy it. What? You're going to destroy this? He's blaspheming. He's a terrorist. And those same people that hailed him wanted to kill him. If you want to be loved by the world, you will have to walk away from God. How can you say that, Mark? Because they killed Jesus, who was the perfect lover of the world. Seriously. What did Jesus do that offended the world? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Yeah, well, I can understand that because it's kind of exclusive. But how did he say you're saved? We'll get there in a moment. It's, it's mind-blowing. I, I want to remind you, okay? So these two groups that Dr. Ross told us about last week, you got the converted and you got the follower of, of Jesus here, the devoted follower. Here's the problem, and this is secret, and I, I dare you to change my thinking. Show me in Scripture where this is. The problem is the Bible never refers to this group as followers of Jesus. That's the scary part. A person who walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, not once in Scripture does that say you're saved. And I, I give you, as case one, the thief on the cross. He never said, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I need, I need today for you to forgive me so that I can go to heaven and not hell. That's not what he did on the cross. He just acknowledged that that guy in the middle was innocent. He was guilty, and he wanted him, the Son of God, to remember him when he came into his kingdom. Because that was an expression of his heart. It wasn't magical words. It was just the expression of his heart. And I want to remind you what Romans 10 verse 9 says. Will you put that up there for me, please? This is, a, this is a text that was highly debated years ago, Romans 10, 9. Here it is. This is a passage that all of us use when sharing Christ with somebody, but it says, okay, here's how a person goes from death to life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Okay, so we just stop. Let's stop, because we all run to the cross, and it gets in there, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Absolutely. But we always ignore the first part and go right to the second part. But there's two parts of this. Number one is declaring him as Lord. I want to ask you again, and you've been studying with me, even if it's just this morning, what was the sin of the lost? The sin of the lost was that they did not put God in the God place. They did not worship him as Lord, is the exact quote. 
That was the sin of the lost. That's why they become depraved. That's why they indulge in their flesh. That's why they become rebellious to parents and, and whatever else is listed in there. The problem is that the Christian does it the same way. The Jewish moralist does it exactly the same way. What we do is we say things like, I am not a Calvinist, so I refuse to believe in a God who would choose. Well, I would like to respond by saying, then make up your own God because you don't get to choose who God is. Or how about, how about the person who's, and, and look, I, I, uh, Arminian. How about, how about the Calvinist attacking the Arminian? It does say whosoever will may come. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, just ignore me for a moment. Whenever we say, I choose to believe in a God who would not judge somebody with the sin they were born with, including homosexuality, you are now creating a false God. You're making a calf. You're making a golden calf. That's not God. You see, part of being saved is if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Not you, not your pastor, not your favorite author, not your favorite worship group, but Jesus is Lord. And as a result of that, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Why? Because you're sick. The word repentance. The word repentance is one we throw around a lot. And I, I, I love the word repentance. It's in Scripture. But we've turned it into be sorry for your sins. Do you understand that the Greek word for repentance doesn't even say that? It doesn't even infer it. I might argue, I would argue with you, that probably one of the most repentant people in Scripture or sorrowful people over sin in Scripture would have to be Judas Iscariot. How can you say that, Pastor? Because he not only feel, felt bad about what he did, but he threw the money back at the guys. They wouldn't accept it. It's like, we don't want that money. It's blood money. Well, you're the one who gave it to me. And he backed off. And then he goes out and he kills himself. You see, the only difference between, in my thinking, my thinking between Peter and Judas is not the sin. It's the response to the sin. Uh, Peter ran to Jesus. It tells us that in that week between uh, breakfast, the resurrection, and breakfast on the beach that Jesus and Peter talked. I don't know what they said, but I have a good guess. I'm sorry. It's okay. That's why I died, dude. I told you you'd do this. I said I'd die for you, though. When I pulled my little tiny sword, I was ready. I didn't ask you to pull your sword. I got this. I told you to trust me. Yeah, but it's really hard to trust you. I know. I mean, Judas was the ultimate coward. Well, how can you say that? Because instead of repenting, by the way, what's the word repent means? It means change your mind. Repenting isn't going, I've sinned. Ask, uh, who's the golfer? Tiger Woods. Woods. You knew exactly what I was talking about. Tiger Woods, when his wife found out he was having an affair, she did a little research and found out he'd had 21 of them or some huge number. And, And can I just say, women, don't go for a guy because he plays golf. Go for a guy because he has a heart for God. But that's a different message. But, but, you know, he cried on TV. But that doesn't make him repentant. It just makes him sorry he got caught. And for the record, nobody likes getting caught. Nobody. It doesn't make you repentant. Repentance is saying, I agree with you. You're right. I'm wrong. And even the inclinations of my heart are wrong. Even why I do what I do is wrong. I just want to follow you. That's repentance. Repentance is turning around. It isn't saying, I'll never look at porn again. It's saying, I want to do life his way. We were great, many of us, and and forgive me for being so general about this, but most of us were raised very similar. We were raised to think about our sin nonstop. Stop looking at porn. Stop beating your wife. Stop beating your husband. Stop beating your pastor. Show love. Show kindness. Blah, 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 blah. All what you do when repentance is staring at the back of the head of God. That's repentance. Everything I do somehow has secret motives. I just got to follow you. 
Well, what does that look like? No idea. Nobody has any idea. It looked different for Peter than John. That's what Peter asked Jesus. And when Jesus said, you're going to die on a cross just like me. Remember his first question? What about John? None of your business, little man. None of your business. It's incredible, but we keep trying to... We do exactly what the world does. Even if you're here this morning and said, I've never hated anybody, I've never lusted, I've never done any of those things, I've never used the word raka or fool in my life. I am that good of a person. Well, you just blew it in the pride department. Because if you truly were that good, what you would do is bow the knee and say, by God's power, what a crazy life I'm living. I, I've completely, I have completely emptied myself of my flesh. God, you are so lucky to have me. No one is righteous. No one is good. No one seeks after God. To which you kind of go, um, uh-oh. You ready for the good news? We're going to dabble in it right now. I know some of you are like, please give me good news. So let's start again in Romans 3. All people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Did Paul make the case? Do you agree with that? As the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. And he's going to explain it. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. You think your wife has bad breath in the morning. That's bad. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. We're getting it, Paul. Lighten up. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all, obviously. The law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. So pause. Don't go to 20 yet. Don't put 20 up there yet. In context, this is an incredible verse because it basically says we're in trouble, all of us, everyone, because we're full of all that stuff. And, and, and then you go, well, I thought by good you could be saved. And God goes, you can be saved by doing good. Ask Adam and Eve. The problem is nobody does good. And now we just found out that the law that we're talking about, the Jewish law, applies to those to whom it's given for its purpose its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. Its purpose is to show that the entire world is guilty before God. Well, that stinks too. Well, how can I be saved then? Next verse. Ta-da! No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Ba-da-boom! Ba-da-boom! There it is. But now... This is the super good, overwhelming news. If I said to an unsaved person, do you believe you're in trouble? Have you ever lied? Yes. Okay, so if there is a judge, you're going to go to hell because you've lied. That You are going to be judged. You're going to be separated from God. What would you like to say to God before you face him in judgment? I would like him just to forgive my sin. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. But a boom Seriously, let that sink in. We have lost the... That's mind-boggling. The God of the universe, the judge of judges, the one who created us all, the one that we continually turn our back on, has made it possible for us to be right with them without keeping the requirements of the law. In other words, you can be a, a same-sex attraction. You can be 
a, a murderer, a thief, a liar, uh, all those things, which we all are, we can be all those things, and we can still be made right with God. How, God? How? Well, no, 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 go back, go back, 21. <laughs> Don't get too excited back there, Kip. We're not there yet. It was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Next, Kip, now. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. <sighs> A glass of living water. And this is true for everyone, including homosexuals and liars and thieves and Baptists and Mormons and Assembly of God members and Catholics. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who, or I'd like to add, what you are. No matter how you identify, God can forgive you from your sin. And if we had read this in its context like it was supposed to be read, I want to remind you that before Paul actually got in the really, really, really super bad news, which is before, and the rest of this book is all about the really, really, really overwhelming, unbelievable good news, before he gets into that, he already told us this. Kip, will you find uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 15 or 16? I have a text in there. For I am not ashamed. This is Paul's word after greeting them. I want you to know that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving who saves? Not you. Not your goodness. He is the one. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. To the Jew first, the moralist, the Christian, the assembly of God, the, Mor the Mormon. It's to the religious person first, and then also to the pagan, the Gentile. Here we go. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. If you had not heard this 700 times, this is where you lean forward in your chair. So how is it done? This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And in case you're wondering, it was upon reading this that a Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. It was reading this that introduced another Catholic priest by the name of St. Augustine into the family of God. It was, it was through this and we could go down the list. It was through this teaching of Romans, this faith salvation, not work salvation, by people who knew they were falling short. If you've never read the life of Martin Luther, you don't have to be a Lutheran to enjoy it. It's an incredible story. The, uh, some of those that were closest to him, some of his mentors write about his life, and they say that he spent hours a day in the bathroom because his stomach was such a mess as a result of being afraid that he was about to be cast into hell. It is said that the priest that he would confess to would tell him to go out and sin and make stuff up because they're sick of hearing nothing. But he lived in fear of judgment until he saw this. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. It is through this text that Charles Wesley and John Wesley, the slave traders, came to know Jesus Christ. Weren't they the ones, one of them, the one who wrote Amazing Grace? Who? Like I said, John Newton, the guy who invented the fig. I mean, the, the fact is that this is the message that Paul found out on the road to Damascus where he was going to do God's work by killing Christians that he realized killing every Christian that ever lived, every follower of Jesus that ever lived wouldn't save you, Paul. Only faith in God, the one you helped kill. That's how you came to Christ. 
That's how Jake from State Farm came to Christ. Because he realized that as young and innocent as he is, he's a bad kid. I mean, not a bad, bad kid, but a bad kid. I'm in trouble with God. I sin. I mean, my mom and dad are wrong a lot, but I, they're not always wrong. I'm just kidding with you, Jake. The truth is that even growing up on an incredible property with a phenomenal camp and surrounded by some of the greatest speakers that this country has to offer doesn't make you a good person. God takes bad people and redeems them. And what do we do? We realize that by faith, without faith, we are in trouble and we need to just follow Him and follow Him because He's right and we're wrong even when we don't understand Him. And that's repentance. Repentance says every inkling of my heart is for self and I want to follow you off a cliff. Which, by the way, is in fact what Jesus taught when He said to the crowd, if anyone wants to come after me, he's going to have to deny himself or herself, pick up his or her cross and follow me. That wasn't a camp thing. That was the truth. We've just turned into an option. And that's why the church looks just like the world today. may not be the same sin, but it's anger. It's why we're frustrated politically. It's why we're mad. It's not that you're politically wrong. I'm conservative too, but our attitudes are not godly. We should never mock God's creation as a way of winning an election. It's not about looks. It's about truth. And when we lose, we shouldn't freak out. Because we know He's Lord. We know He's on His throne. And we know bad things are going to happen to God's people. But when you trust Him, there's peace and hope and joy and life. And we also know that the gay people in our neighborhood... And the murderers in our prisons are not our enemies. They are opportunities to share hope of God with people. And so while the world is trying to figure out what sin is, and the church is even in the debate of what sin is, I'm just here to tell you, we're going to find out in Romans that anything not done in faith is sin, according to Jesus, even the goodest stuff we do. And only God can redeem us from us. And so if you do not know him this morning... Today is the day of salvation. He forgives you. He loves you. He's already paid the price, and all you got to do is accept it. What does that look like? Don't be an idiot. He's listening to you. Tell him what you need. And if for you it looks like, I know I'm going to hell now. I called you an idiot. Um, for one, it looked like, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was just saying, I'm in trouble. We deserve what we're getting. You don't. Look, you guys. God is awesome in unbelievable ways. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve even to say his name. But here we are this morning and singing songs and watching Jake be baptized and his mom weep and his dad going, man, this is awesome. What a privilege to baptize your son. What a privilege to work with these children and see one be baptized. What a privilege it is to serve God in front of you and open his word and in my head go, you are a mess. How dare you talk about people like you're not one of them, and I am. And then I hear the Holy Spirit going, yeah, you've never done a good thing in your life, but I have on your behalf. Come home, son. Soon, family. Brothers and sisters, if you are converted but not committed, stop it. You know that's not what this was about. Jump in. 
it's wonderful and terrifying and exhilarating and an adventure and overwhelmingly peaceful and scary at the same time. And what about the government? They may come for us, but not before they go for them in China, and they're doing it right now. So pray for them. But we'll continue to gather. We'll continue to meet. We'll continue to study Romans, and we will continue to talk about how good our God is. Because the closer I get with Him, the more I realize that while my outside isn't as dirty as it once was, the inside is just as dirty as it ever was. And I need mercy. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. And thank you that you loved me so much that you sent your only begotten son so that whoever believes in you, including this guy, won't perish but have eternal life. Thank you for offering me eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. I accept that. I thank you for it. And I'm sorry that too often... I take it for granted. And now, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll give me and my family here the opportunity to bring others with us into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you don't know Jesus this morning and you'd like to meet my dad, I would love to introduce you to him. God bless you. Sunday school will start in 10 minutes.